Am I on? There we go. March 31st. This is the last day in March. This is the 31st, right? Okay, yeah. And uh, I just had like a really concerning thought that it wasn't. Um, March 31st, this is the end of March and also the end of our series on the book of 1 Peter. Do you realize that it took us three months to get through five chapters of the Bible? Now, granted, we had a few Sundays where we missed because of weather and, and other things, but um, let's just not talk about the weather. Today is terrible. Uh, but we are closing it out today. We are ending our, our series on, on, on become what it means our identity in Christ. But this is not the series, like this is not the end of, of this journey. You see, become our identity in Christ is, is what we're going to be talking about this whole year. It's what we're going to be focusing on for the rest of this year. This is just the launch the launch pad from which we're, we're going from. So today our passage is, is 1 Peter 5, uh, chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. So if you turn there in your Bibles, we're going to, that's, that's where we're going to be spending the majority of our time, specifically verses 8 and 9. So while you're turning there, I'm going to tell you a story. You see, I was talking to a dear friend. This was several years ago. I was, I was talking with a, a very dear friend of mine, and we were talking about the movie, The Book of Eli. Now, two things to this. First of all, I, I, this, in August will be my fifth year here at, at Eaton Church of the Brethren, um, soon to be Eaton Community Church, and um, I realized I talk about movies a lot when I preach. Um, if you don't like movies, I am so sorry. Um, but it's just something that my wife and I really enjoy, so you're just going to continue to hear that. It's just a part of, of what, you're, what to expect, okay? So that's the first part. The second part is we were talking about the movie The Book of Eli. Um, I do not endorse this movie in any way, okay? So it's really violent. I mean, extremely violent. It's, it's a rated R movie, and... Um, I actually didn't watch it until it came out on, like, cable. So um, I, if that makes it better, I don't know. But I, I, I waited until then to watch it. Um, but I was talking to my friend about this movie. And he had asked me if I had seen it at the moment. It was still in the theaters. And he asked me if I'd seen it. And I said, no. But I wanted to eventually see it. My friend then proceeded to tell me, everything about the movie. And I couldn't walk away. Because, you see, this dear friend of mine was about 30 years older than me, and was a mentor of mine, and and I felt it would have been quite rude for me just to say, hey, stop talking. You're going to ruin the movie for me. Now, maybe I'm just too nice that way. Uh, I I don't know. But uh, I stood there flabbergasted as... The, the movie just began to be unfolded before me, not visually, but with words. And every detail upon detail was, was given. And um, here's the problem. If you've seen the book of Eli or you know of the book of Eli, it has an amazing twist at the end. And when someone tells you the movie beforehand, it doesn't have an amazing twist at the end anymore. He spoiled that movie for me, and I was 
not happy. Now, I bring this up because I love twist endings. Again, I've probably talked about this at some point in the five years I've been here, how much I love the twist. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like the movies where you're watching and then all of a sudden the thing that was the thing was no longer the thing. Or like the, the bad guy ends up being the good guy and the good guy is actually the bad guy. You know those movies where you're watching and all of a sudden the, the twist is there and you're like, oh yeah, this movie's good now. Um, I also really like, why, why I really like movie twists is because I, I get engaged with the movie and I try to figure out as it's going on, like, oh, I know that's going to happen. And, and then I feel really good about myself. So basically, I watch movies to make myself feel good. Okay, so, well, I guess that's why most people watch movies, right? So he ruined the movie for me. But I love twist endings, and, and that was a really sad moment for me. As Peter closes out this letter, though, we get somewhat of a twist ending. Go with me, like, somewhat of a twist ending. And what you thought all along in this book, what you expected is actually not anymore. At least if you prescribed to how the world sees things. As we've mentioned multiple times throughout the series, the churches to whom he was writing was, was, was several churches in Asia Minor. It was a circular letter, and so it would go from one place to the next. And they were under heavy persecution. Look at, look at some of the things that, that Peter talks to these churches about. 2.12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Or 3.16, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Or 4.16, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. They were being verbally, physically, and socially abused. They were spoken against, beaten by their masters, and at times they lost businesses or or were socially shunned because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. And it's easy to think of these people as enemies. They're hurting us. They're persecuting us. Those who are on the opposite side, those who torment with their words, those who belittle to raise themselves up. They're our enemies, right? But Peter reminds his readers and us today who the real enemy is. So, 1 Peter 5, beginning with verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let's pray.
How holy is your word. And we are so grateful to read it together. God, thank you for Peter and how you used him to to pen these words that, that have stood the test of time. Holy Spirit, as you as you did back then and, and helped him pin this, I pray that you help us today in interpreting and understanding it. So give us wisdom. Give us direction. And give us truth. I pray this in your name. Amen. The big twist. The big twist that Peter is wanting us to see is that people are not our enemy. Our enemy is the devil. It's not those who persecute us and make our lives miserable, but rather it's spiritual forces who are against us. Peter is, in a roundabout way, helping his readers and remind them and understand of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, which you'll see on your screen. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is Jesus talking. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus' words help us bring humanity to our enemies, reminding us that that they actually really are not our enemies. You see, it's very easy for us to to put ourselves in in, in this spot and then to put someone else in this spot. And if they're different from us, if they they disagree with us, or even worse, if they're, they're, they're mean and, and, and just conniving and, and wanting to hurt us. If they're here, we're here, and we are not the same. But we must understand that these words help bring this new understanding to what an enemy is. Our enemies are those whom we are to love, pray for, and care for. Because they're the ones Jesus came to save as well. You see, in Romans, the Paul, the apostle, he, he tells us that we at one point were enemies of God. All of us were enemies of God. So just like the rest of this letter in, in 1 Peter, Peter is reminding the churches in Asia Minor that the kingdom of God is upside down. It's backwards. It's not the way the world sees things. This approach to life should give us new eyes to see things differently. If someone hurts me, at least this is the way the world sees it, if someone hurts me, you better believe I'm going to hurt them back. An eye for an eye, right? But that's not how Jesus' kingdom operates. In his kingdom, we are to humble ourselves for the sake of of the gospel and the salvation that, that he brings through the cross. That's why, why Peter talked about submission to government authorities, slaves to their masters, and women to their husbands. It created a system that, that countered much of the known Roman world. Romans did it this way. And, and actually, sometimes the Israelites did it this way, but, but we as Christians, we do it this way. And it wasn't just submission out of spite. Oh, I guess because, I, because of Jesus, I got to do this. 
it was submission with an understanding of true freedom in Jesus Christ. A freedom that while under submission you had power because it came with compassion and desire for the oppressor to be won over to Christ. It's a mentality that says, you can beat me down, you can tear me down, say what you want to say, and I will continually make myself lower and lower because you can't stop me from doing that. You can't stop me from loving you. That is a right that all people of Christ have. You see, the world for centuries has had the power to take life, to take away land, to take away liberty. Authorities have always had that power, but they don't have the power to take away God's love and compassion from us because they can't take God away from us. Therefore, those who persecute us, they are not our enemy. They are who we are to love and pray for. Yet Peter shows us who our true enemy is. Verse 8, Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Now, I'm not going to go into the history of Satan at this moment. I actually did that last weekend with youth and, and, and actually a couple weekends before with some youth. Uh, they, they, they've asked this popular question, who is Satan? Where did he come from? Now, if you are interested in learning more about that, I'm going to have a post in LifeShare later this week to give you a little more insight and a little more information of what we know about the, the, the person of, of Satan. What I'd like to do, though, is clarify a few common misconceptions that we hold of the devil. So, um, throw that picture up. Oh, it didn't work first service. Oh, seriously. So freaky. I really don't think, it's, it's one of two things, okay? And the same thing happened in the first service. I don't think either God wants me to show a picture of the devil in church, or the devil really doesn't want me to talk about what I'm going to talk about because he's got us all fooled. If you want to look, and maybe it'll pop up here in a second, but if you want to look, Okay, there he is. Oh, freaky. Okay. Um, One, this is wrong. This is not Satan. This is not the devil. This is not who is described in the Bible. This is a compilation of different religions, of different mythologies, of different bad guy spirits, and different places all over the world that have come and compiled into this one picture of a man or thing with horns that's dressed in red and has a pitchfork or trident or whatever. That is not the devil. That is a caricature. And the devil wants us to think that's him. Plus, he's pretty ripped. I don't know. That's that... I'm a little jealous. <laughs> I know you all were thinking that, right? Because you're like, you know me and my amazing muscular physique. Okay. God, forgive me, please. <laughs> That's wrong. There's, we have to first understand that this isn't who Satan is. 
Now, again, I'll go into more detail about, about how the, the Bible paints the picture of Satan. And, and truth be told, there isn't a lot because the Bible's about God, <laughs> not Satan. So that was the picture that we have that is wrong. And if we understand that's wrong, it, it helps us understand this next part, this next misconception, which is going to help us understand a little more of what Peter is talking to us about. There is a common belief that Satan is the ruler of hell. And from there, he sends his demons up to torment us or to tempt us into sin. Now, first, hell is real. We believe that here at our church. It is a real place. But it is not the place where Satan has a throne or where he rules. We can thank Dante's Inferno for that. If anyone's ever heard of it or read it, we can thank him. Revelation 20.10 says this. Maybe. And it says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. You see, hell is not a place where Satan rules, where the devil has a throne. No, hell is a place that was created for the torture and the torment of our enemy. Satan doesn't want to go to hell. Hear that. He doesn't want to go there. And the reason I bring this up and the reason that I want us to understand this is because so often we have this misconception that that if he is down there ruling, that means he's not always here on the earth. There might be moments of reprieve. There might be moments where we we understand he's maybe too busy torturing people to, to torment us. But no, that's not the case. Jesus, three times in the book of John, makes reference to Satan being the prince of this world. John 12, 31, 14, 30, and 16, 11, if you're wondering. He is not the ruler of hell. The devil has freedom to roam the earth, to tempt, to accuse, and to draw us away from the Father. And so for Peter... He reminds his readers in Asia Minor, this is your enemy. This picture is your enemy. The spiritual forces, the ones who are here to cause us to miss the target, to lead us to temptation instead of away from temptation, who have a desire for us to sin, ready to pounce, prowling around, ready to devour us. I'm curious, has anyone ever seen a lion attack? Like on YouTube or something like that. You're, you're watching National Geographic Channel or something and you see like a lion. Anyone ever seen that? It is scary. So scary in fact that like if we ever take a mission trip to Africa, I don't know if I will go. Because I will be afraid. See, because here's the thing. When a lion is about to attack, the prey has no clue 
the prey is so unaware of what's happening. Because the lion, he's quiet. He's hidden. He gets down. He knows exactly what's going on. And you know, he does that little like arm thing. Like he's about ready to attack. Now, I decided to find a video for this to give you a full picture of what I'm talking about. So, if you have a weak stomach, you may not want to watch. What are you doing, son? Counseling. Let an old pro show you how it's done. I told the elephants to forget it, but they can't. Zazu, would you turn around? Yes, sire. The cheetahs are hard Stay up, Stay low I to the ground. Cheetahs never prosper. Yeah, okay, stay low to the ground, right, yeah. What's going on? A pouncing lesson. Oh, very good. Pouncing. Pouncing? Oh, no, sire, you can't be serious. Oh, this is so humiliating. Try not to make a sound. What are you telling him, Mufasa? Mufasa? Simba? <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Now, I, I really did think about showing the actual thing, but I got grossed out by it, and I figured, like, I didn't want people vomiting everywhere. So, um, I went with this video instead. Most of you have probably seen this at some point. If not, it's Lion King. What are you doing? Um, seriously, I like movies. Um, so, but it still happened. I don't know if you noticed. Zazu, who was the bird, was talking to King Mufasa, and he was talking, and then all of a sudden, everything got quiet. And he didn't know where they were. That's how lions do it. When they're after their prey, they, they know what's going on, and the prey has no clue. I mean, it's cute to watch on the TV, you know, on a movie, but it's not so cute when you see it in real life and, and definitely not cute when the devil devours his prey as well. I've been in the church for 36 years of my life. My dad's a pastor. I grew up in the church. Um, I, I remember probably 30 years of it altogether, maybe 31. I remember some from my five-year-old year. All throughout those years, I can think of time after time after time after time of the devil catching his prey. Of seeing mighty men of God fall or mighty women of God fall. I've seen it time and time again. And the world is waiting. The world is watching and it's ready. It's ready to watch the devil devour his prey. But Peter in his encouragement, Peter in his reminder of everything that's been happening to this, these churches in Asia Minor, he reminds them that they have the authority to overcome it. You see, Paul says in Colossians 2, He, being God, forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. 
He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. Listen to that. And having disarmed the powers and authorities. He's talking about spiritual powers and authorities. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So we must be self-controlled. That's what, what Peter says in verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. The theologian J.R. Michaels interprets it this way. Pay attention! Wake up! We have to be ready. Because if we are not, if we are not, the devil will devour us. So Peter's encouragement in verse 9 is to resist the devil. Look with me at at verse 9. Because we have the authority from Jesus Christ to do this, verse 9, resist him being the devil, standing firm in the faith, Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We must stand firm in the faith. How do we resist the devil? How do we do it? That's the first way. Stand firm in the faith. As we've been walking through the, the, the first of Peter's letters in the Bible, I pray that you've been able to join us. You've been able to see this clear picture of what Peter's been communicating. That we must stand firm. In order for us to stand firm in our faith, we must know whose we are. Now, I want you to hear that very clearly. I didn't say you have to know who you are. What I'm saying is you have to know whose you are. To know who has claimed you and whom you belong to. And so going through the book of 1 Peter, listen to to what he says over and over and over again to these churches. To know that Jesus Christ has given you a new birth. To know the one who is holy has called you to be holy. To know you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. To know you have a task to live out your salvation in humility and submission. If we are to stand firm in our faith, we must know that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross so we might die to our sins and live for righteousness To know that by his wounds we are healed. To know that under submission and humility God will hear our prayers. To know we are blessed and that we don't need to fear a thing. If we are to stand firm in our faith, we must know that Christ died once for all in order that we should be brought to God. To know that we are are to love each other deeply. To know we can proudly bear the name of Christ. To know when we humble ourselves, we will be lifted up. And to know that when we cast our anxieties on God, he will take them because he cares deeply for us. It's when we know these truths 
It's when we understand whose we are that, that we can marry our identity and God's truths together. We can do what Peter is encouraging us to do. That we can resist the devil. We can be alert. We can fight against our true enemy. We can stand firm in the faith, knowing we are not alone. You see, God has been leading our church to recognize our identity. Because when we know our identity, we can be firmly rooted in truth and we cannot be shaken. That's what we've been doing from, the, from January 1st to now. We have been looking through 1 Peter so we can discover what our identity in Christ is. And those, those verses that I just pulled out and, 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 and summarized, those are, are just a, a few, a smattering of, of just a book that has five chapters. You have a whole Bible full of knowing whose you are. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. And that's what we've been prepping for and doing because when we know this truth, we can no longer be shaken because we are rooted in his foundation. We are foundationally strong in the midst of persecution as we humbly lay our lives down for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can withstand the temptations of the enemy and hold strong together. And we can become who God created us to be. Only when we know whose we are are we able to accomplish the goal that God has given us. When we know who we are, we are shaped we are molded and we are formed spiritually so that we can bring hope to those with broken lives and pass on the same spiritual heritage from generation to generation to generation and it keeps going and going and going. This is our vision. This is what we're hoping for. By 2026, our church will follow a pattern of spiritual formation which means our lives are going to be molded and shaped by God, a spiritual formation in one another together that brings hope to broken lives and where individuals and families can pass on a spiritual heritage. The only way we can even begin to accomplish this is to know whose we are. Well, that's first. Peter also gives us a second way to resist the devil. That we stand together. It is not something we do alone. Look again at verse 9. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You are not alone in your suffering. You are not alone in, 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 in what you are feeling. You do not have to go through this life living on an island because the power of the church is that it's a collection of different people from different histories, 
of different nationalities, different generations, different personalities with a smattering of different gifts. And it's all taken, all these differences, all this conglomeration, and it's taken and it's smashed into this mess known as the body of Christ. That's why being a part of the church sometimes is really messy and sticky. That's why sometimes there's conflict because we have all these differences coming from different places, but we all stand on the same truth that Jesus Christ is our Savior. And we all stand together knowing whose we are. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I heard from the first service that we ended pretty early. Guess what? You get it again today. You get some, you get some early, early time. You get to go to lunch early. Our lives are not our own when we belong to Jesus Christ. They are no longer ours. When we belong to Jesus, first our lives are given to him. And then he uses them as he pleases for everyone else. That means your story, what Jesus has done in you, that is your story to share, not to keep to yourself and say, thank you God over and over and over again. Yes, we need to thank him. But it is your story to share to each other. Because you never know that the person that you're sharing your story to, they may think they're all alone in, in, in that story and they may identify with what you're going through and say, I thought I was the only one. It is your story for the kingdom. So share it. We want to uplift each other. Pray for each other. Set our own desires aside for the sake of the one whose desire is the only important desire, being Jesus Christ. Because in doing this, God receives glory and his kingdom is expanded. We're going to have a time of worship and the song we're going to be singing is called The Stand. And Sometimes I, I, I'm sad because I don't think we realize what's happening in music. This song is amazing, and I want you to recognize what you're singing when you sing it. Because when we sing these songs, the, the first verse, and I think actually even the second verse, is all about how Jesus stood for us. Make note of the things you're saying. Where he, when we sing, where he stood what he did in his standing for us. Because then there's a moment in the end where we are called to stand as well together. Where we say, I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. I mean, we've sung this song many times here. When we stand like this, it's a surrender. And here's my encouragement for you today. Maybe that surrender is just the simple act of raising your hands up because it's really super awkward. 
Maybe your surrender today is the thing that, that just keeps holding you back from understanding whose you are. Maybe your surrender is that you are too consumed with your life. You have too much going on that you can't invest in other people in our church or invest in the church abroad. Maybe your surrender is something that I have no idea. I can't even think beyond this moment because it's between you and God. But we get to this moment where we're singing about what Christ has done for us and how he stood for us. And now it is time for us to make that stand. Are you ready to make that stand? So I'm going to pray for us. And then we're physically going to stand. And we're going to sing together. So please pray with me. God, you stood before creation with eternity in your hand. You spoke the world into motion. May we stand. You stood before our failures. You carried the cross for our shame. With our lives, knowing one day we'll declare your purpose. May we stand. God, help us to lay aside whatever it is so that the devil may be resisted and we can seek after you with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave everything. We pray this in your name. Amen.